0: This is Adam Novak, the author of Freaks of the Industry, a novel about the movie business in the city of angels and demons. This is Rare Bird Radio, and I'm talking with Tyler Knight, author of the riveting memoir, Burn My Shadow, a selective memory of an X-rated life. Tyler, welcome to Rare Bird Radio.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: You know, we, we have a lot in common. We both have generous blurbs from Jerry Stahl and Tyson Cornell to thank for publishing our books. I want to know starting yeah. off, how long did it take for you to finish this book and uh, how long did it take to get published?
1: Yeah, so first of all, Jerry is uh, Jerry's one of my idols and one of my uh, de facto mentors. I first read permanent midnight decades ago when it first got published. And that was what I used as, as pretty much the standard for what a memoir should be, you know, emotionally honest and not, not some bullshit celebrity. I'm just like you zeitgeist crap that, uh, that nowadays people forced upon the public as, 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 as meaningless garbage. I mean, he was naked and raw and that, that, uh, the fact that he took the time to, to even read my, my work, that was an honor beyond beyond measure.
0: I felt the same way when Jerry read my first novel. I, I couldn't believe that this icon was taking the time to read my work. He took me out to lunch, Tyler, and yeah. put, put my first novel in front of me on the table and said, I want you to sign it for me. And that oh, was it. Yeah. And and just the feeling that you had the gratitude that I felt to Jerry for making me feel, you know, like a novelist when he said so. And I didn't feel that until Jerry Stahl said so. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, both
1: of us, when we when we create a book, the process is done in complete isolation. Uh, Sequestered from any other person's uh, prying eyes until you're finished with it. So you're really you're writing in a vacuum. You know, it's unlike, uh, unlike uh, well, a film project for example. You know, where it's a collaborative medium and there's constantly people every step of the way working on the project with you until the final final product is done. Not so with a book. You know, I mean, it's you really don't really truly know objectively how good it is until someone else actually reads it. And Jerry, he doesn't BS if he doesn't like something. He'll, he'll tell you.
0: That's <laughs> so pretty cool. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But I, I call it the bubble. And yeah. uh, when you're in that bubble, it's both terrifying and exhilarating because some days you think you know, you know you're the cock of the walk, and other days it's, who am I kidding?
1: Yeah so, exactly. I'm kind of at that place right now with the book I'm working on at the moment, uh, uh, trying really, really hard, my fingers like hovering over over the delete button.
0: <laughs> you know, it but,
1: was uh, at yeah,
0: yeah. uh, Tyler, it was seven years of radio silence between my first novel and my second novel. Not that there weren't false right. starts, but they say that you know to get that second one published is the second book is really the sense that, you know, you've, you've something inside you has crossed over and that they say, if you do something once, congratulations, you do it twice. You're a professional. That's good. No, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to read your second one. Uh, when I read your memoir, um, you had me on the first page um, you had me at the end, and as we know, if you can't finish something, uh, you know it's not worth your time, but I knew from the first chapter of Burn My Shadow that I was in the grip of a voice, uh, of experience, that this was going to be raw and honest and A window into a world that we all think we know what the adult film industry is like, but anyone who reads your book will never look at pornography the same way because you take a magnifying glass to it, and if the sun burns long enough, you know, you can sort of burn that insect to death with your magnifying glass. So it both puts a spotlight on it, but it also, I thought, um, really showed us um, perhaps the unflattering, unglamorous aspects. It's called a a selective memory, and um, I still think about it long after I put it down. So uh, I find it still to be talking to you because there are so many uh, books that we can't finish, but to have one that has stayed with me that the one you wrote, I'm excited to read your next one. And I'm sure people who are listening to this broadcast are you know, curious about what happens after you finish your manuscript or you decide it's ready, uh, you're ready to leave the bubble and share it with people. Uh, how did Burn My Shadow get published? And did you suffer? Was it a long time?
1: Uh, yeah, I I guess the best way to answer that question is this. So I I had what I thought was a finished draft of it back in 2009, May 2009. And I sent it out to all the literary agents in New York, which, of course, all of them, every single one to the person rejected, rejected it. Uh, most of them didn't even... Most of them didn't reject it actively. It was basically a passive no answer. Although a few of them did request to see sample chapters and pages of the manuscript, um, and then rejected it. But mostly, you get like form rejection letters, which are pretty much the exact same thing. It's like so it's like they all go down, down to like Staples and get the exact same form, and fill out the author's name. I'm sorry, author's name. Uh, we cannot accept your manuscript because you know fill in blank, blah blah blah, and I sent out the manuscript to uh, publishers that re- accepted unsolicited manuscripts from authors, and one of them read it and wasn't able to acquire it, but he knew an ancient who, whom it would be good for, and that happens to be my ancient Peter at Foundry Literary and Media and peter actually read it and it turns out that his assistant was the one who rejected it <laughs> or an intern rather who uh rejected it the first time around not even his assistant even really just some 20 year old kid or whatever who rejected it and peter loved it and we spent from 2009 to 2014 basically just reshaping and it, making it better and better so it would be sellable and so even though I turned in what I thought was a finished manuscript, it really wasn't until Peter started taking it out in 2014. And he got it just wow. to the point where, you know, he got it just to the point where he didn't want it to be too polished. He wanted an acquisitions editor to feel like, you know, she could put her final mark on it or he, as as it may be, which is important. you know.
0: Yeah. And it, the, the, the process that uh, you went through again, you know, with, where we 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 brothers from another literary mother because i got rejection letters to my query letters <laughs> as, if, yeah. as if as as if my query letter wasn't worthy enough you know tyler mm-hmm. i would email people and and you know get no response to my emails but i really was my feelings really were hurt when i would get a rejection letter to my email query letter you know it's like really You begin to collect the query letters and and, and rejection letters, and it becomes this routine of failure. And when uh, my first novel was published, my dad said to me, published author sounds a lot better than failed novelist. So that that joy you must have felt when uh, Rare Bird agreed to publish Burn My Shadow. So um, that must have been extraordinary for you
1: yeah I mean two things you we should unpack what a query letter is to people who who are you know who are uninitiated. Basically, a query letter is a sales tool that has absolutely nothing to do with your quality of writing and the actual work itself. It's a total left brain right brain thing, and it's basically you as an artist sitting down and writing a sales letter about what your work is about, who the demographical market is comparable titles, which you have to, like, basically figure out what are comparable titles in the marketplace and what they've done and things like that. And it doesn't have a single line of prose of your work in it. So basically, you're looking at getting your, your art rejected on a piece, that, uh, piece of writing that has nothing to do with your art. So it's insane, but it's a necessary evil.
0: It's absolutely cruel what you have to go through just to get read.
1: Right, right, and that's before a single word of word of your prose is even read by anybody. So that's exactly right.
0: And, and, and uh, it's it, it's really frustrating when you know that you're better than your query letter.
1: Right, because it, it's it's a certain format, and that in itself tells you that it's it's devoid of any creativity whatsoever. It's basically. Uh, it's basically it's basically the 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 analogy I could use is it's basically a telemarketing call in printed form.
0: That's right, which, is, is, receive... which, is, which is which is which is treated with the literary equivalent of a hang up.
1: Correct. you don't want
0: to, want to, be, to be, be bothered. bothered in, in the in the history of of mankind, you know, uh, no one has really ever listened to a telemarketer all the way through and bought the product that she's pitching you. So you're, right. you're, you're, you're 100% right. Um, one of the things that we, you know, we have in common is we're both writing about an industry that everyone knows about and many people uh, watch. And I think what both our books have in common is that they they both have a bullseye on the business and the stories that we tell are really about how the business affects the people who are actually in it. In your book and my novel, my takeaway is is that everyone involved is like Russell Crowe and Gladiator. Huh. It's it's war.
1: Are you not it's entertained? War.
0: <laughs> That's what his right. character says. That's are, right. Are and it's it, it, it's absolutely brutal. And uh, the scenes in Burn My Shadow, um, it's just it scenes a battle.
1: You know, you're doing
0: battle and and it's sort of why I, I found your book so riveting, not just this window into a world of like, wow, like this is this is, you know, your your you you drop me. Into a house that is being used for filming, and I'm following your career, starting as a, you know, a homeless man, to your first job, to suddenly being an in-demand actor, to being a star, to a contract player, to playing the president, a porn parody that everyone's heard of called Nailin Sarah Palin. What was your reaction when you got the call to play the president?
1: Well, first of all, a lot of respect to the man that held the office. Uh, I'm, look, I'm, I, I'll back up. So I'm actually a trained actor. I, I studied with Howard Fine, who anyone in the, in the television and film industry knows who he is. He's one of the finest teachers on planet Earth, let alone in Hollywood. So I do have craft behind me enough to realize that, uh, you know, I was limited in as a mainstream actor. I know just enough about, you know, the skill and craft of acting to know my limitations and whatever. I'm under no, no, no delusions. That said, um, my first, my first instinct was just to make sure that I did justice to uh, the person whom I was, uh, you know, parodying or portraying. Because all parody is based off of, you know, truth. Mm -hmm. And, uh, otherwise it just falls flat and doesn't work. And I truly, I tr- I'm truly respect and love the man, uh, Mr. Obama. Uh, and, you know, my first thing was to make sure that, that, uh, I didn't screw it up. Mm-hmm. And after that, I just had fun with it. You know, I just, uh, yeah. applied, applied my, applied what little craft I, I've, I've picked up over, over training mm-hmm. acting and uh, had fun with it
0: that's 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 amazing i mean it's 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 uh it's how you approach the work and the way you approach the work in a memoir is with seriousness and respect it's it's not it's more than work it's art, and there was a challenge for you to play the present well, yeah something that he did casually yeah.
1: It's all about finding the, the truth and the human condition at any given moment. And I know other people might be snickering, uh-huh, well, it's porn or whatever. But reality is, anything that is worth watching, anything that is worth the consumer spending his or her time viewing, it's worth doing well and you take it seriously. You do whatever you do in life, I mean, whether you're a garbage man or, or whether you're a short or a, a cook or whether you're a hedge fund manager, Your time on Earth is finite, and if you're not doing the best you can, then you're doing a disservice to yourself and anyone who's who's paying you to do your job. And, and, you know, whoever's paying me are the de facto fans. The fans were my de facto bosses, you know, so I I take it seriously,
0: I guess, which is why I've been
1: around for 15 years and people, other people come and go. You know, I try to do the best I I can.
0: I read somewhere that after 10 years, you are eligible for the AVN Hall of Fame. Have you heard any talk about you going into the Hall of Fame? Ha!
1: I've never heard that. Uh, I will, I've learned something. Uh, no. I, uh, I have not. And, and frankly, frankly, I really doesn't, really doesn't matter to me one way or another. I mean, all the AVNs I've, I've won or whatever, they're all in a garbage bag and, and stored somewhere. You know, it's nice to be honored and recognized by your peer. Don't get me wrong, but, Mm -hmm. but, uh, it's. I don't need external external validation to know that that uh, that I did a good job. I mean, you know, when you do when you do well with your with your job, you just you just know. Sure. So.
0: What's been the reaction of the business to your memoir?
1: Mostly positive. I mean, I haven't heard anything negative from anyone in the industry. Uh, I use pseudonyms to make sure that a lot of people who are in the book don't necessarily have the ability to recognize that it's them whom I'm talking about. But then again, the funny thing about human nature is you, you tend not to recognize the bad things in yourself because it's impossible to see yourself with complete objectivity anyway. Um, but but that said, for the most part, it's been positive. There's a lot of things that, that people have said to me in private that they wish they had the, the, the moxie or the boss to, to say, um, but they just simply don't because they're still depending on the industry to give them a paycheck. Um yeah. which is understandable there's a conflict there, and but, you know I guess that's it you know
0: yeah well one of the one of the things i really you really cover i mean the full spectrum of both the dangers of working in an industry you know you there's the risk of hiv there's racism there's uh, a sense of of Total terror, uh, I felt, reading it. I mean, this is both a dangerous business and also one that, you know, is supposed to police itself. And was that your intention to sort of lift up the rock and show the worms, or was it something else? Was it your discovery of your powers to write about your X-rated life so well
1: thanks uh i guess the best way to say the best way to answer that question i just wanted to show the truth in a human condition uh, I, the school of writing i come from and before i started writing I, I took it very seriously actually i studied the craft of writing by just simply reverse engineering what other books i read what authors did well and I stumbled upon a, a school of writing called dangerous writing, which is dangerous not because it's dangerous to the author. Uh, I'm sorry, to the reader. It's it's what's what's challenging to the author of the book. Uh, it forces it forces the author to explore what what uh, what frightens her, you know, or him. It, it forces the author to expose the fears, the weaknesses, the things that keep you up at night that that would that would uh be terrifying or or mortifying if anyone else in the world knew about them, yeah, and you put them down on paper and you explore and you linger over and over on those things until until it's until it goes off and you move on to the next year
0: yeah and your your honesty, Tyler, in this book, the rawness, the attention to detail is astonishing i mean there were there were moments where i i, I I read this and noticed little details, you know, and it it sort of, you know, you, you don't think about this, but it sounds like, and my impression was, you know, in the business, uh, one of the keys to longevity in your business is in fact your longevity on the set. So it, it was amazing how uh, many guys would fail and not be able to perform and they would call you to step in like Manny Mota, the pinch hitter. And <laughs> it would be like, call Tyler, because this guy can't get it up. And people have this idea that uh, anyone can do it. Well, no. This is the NBA. This is You are talking about a professional league where your professionalism is determined by your ability, frankly, not to choke. My takeaway from your book is when the people would choke, you saw that as, you know, uh, here's my chance to, you know, if they can't do it, I will. And it it just shows you that no matter what business it is, it's it's dog-eat-dog.
1: Yeah, it's uh, zero-sum economics. The pie is only so big, and there's only so many slices of pie to go around. And uh, I started off, my very first uh, gig was for... Pretty much at the top of the food chain, it was for a company called VCA, uh, which doesn't exist anymore. It was basically Vivid, VCA, Hustler, and Adam, and Eve were like the, the four blue chip uh, studios. And my first gig was for VCA with the contract girl, and I choked. Um, I was only used to being naked in front of, like, <laughs> at that point, uh, my physician, my girlfriend, and pretty much God. <laughs> and you could be the biggest stud in the world but when you're when you're under pressure and at that time there were these big over-the-shoulder betamax cameras and we were talking like the close out of the 20th century and dawn of the 21st um with the film with the full film crew on set you know on a boom mic it's it's intimidating and if you're not used to it it's unlike anything you've ever experienced before and performance anxiety is one thing but it's exponential when there's a crew of 30 or 40 people and a room full of background extras that are all on payroll and uh, their livelihoods depending upon you being able to do well. And I was that guy who couldn't perform. And I had to pretty much get a control out delete on my career and, and uh, earn my way back up by filling in for guys who couldn't do it. And so I was, you know, their first call again. But yeah, I know what it's like on both sides of the coin. It's, it's better to be the yeah. first choice, and <laughs> than to have to be the be the second or third choice. But I know what it's like on yeah. both ends of the-
0: Does um does Viagra work better if you chew it rather than swallow it? Yeah. So,
1: first of all, most people who take Viagra in porn don't need it because, by definition, you're in your twenties or thirties, and physiologically you're fine. It's just a psychological thing. Um. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it works better if you chew it rather than, than swallow it. Because you, you break it up in, I guess, physics. There's more surface area to volume ratio of the actual product that you're, that's reacting to, to react to whatever, um, which See, is why you chew food. This, is,
0: t- this but, is a sign that I actually read your book. It's the attention to detail, you know,
1: when I read <laughs> that
0: and it just struck me as like, huh, look at that. Chew it. Got it. Got it. You know, it's yeah. um, Digest quicker. What was? Look, you have to love what you're writing because otherwise you can't do it and spend all these years doing it. What was your favorite part of writing this? Because your dialogue is like a conversation out of a novel. It's so natural. It's 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 novelistic. To me, a memoir, you know, is a recreation. It is a selective memory, as you put it. What was your favorite part of writing the memoir?
1: I'm going to say, now that you mentioned dialogue, I'm going to say the very first conversation I have with uh, the character I I used a pseudonym called Amanda, who was uh, the woman who stuck with me throughout my entire tenure in the business. Um, I'm a huge fan of film noir. And it's impossible to remember exactly what was said word for word 15 years in the past. It, it's just not possible, but you can't, as a writer, even if you're writing a novel, you can't let, and especially if you're writing a memoir, you can't let absolute verisimilitude or, or perfection or truth get in the way of the the truthiness of what actually happened and the truthiness, meaning the emotional, the emotional truth of the moment. Mm-hmm. And, I gave myself permission to, uh, you know, incorporate what I what I love most about how dialogue was written well about unpacking things slowly, which is what uh, Hemingway did when he called the iceberg principle. Yeah. Uh, the Hills of Kilimanjaro, I think, is a short story he wrote about the two people are sitting at a table, a man and a woman, and they're talking, you know, nothing about them ahead of time. You're basically dropped into a conversation. And throughout the details of the conversation, you find out that she's pregnant. He wants her to get an abortion, and they're discussing that. But it's never directly pointed at. It's never on the nose. It's always, uh, it's always subtext. And that was the high benchmark I was going for. And that's, uh, you know, that's obviously Hemingway. You can never be as good as And Every young writer wants to be fucking Hemingway, but it's impossible. So I tried to make it my own.
0: Yeah, and, and Hitchcock, Hitch, Hitchcock, Tyler, would say, put a gun under that table of the two people who are having that conversation about an abortion, and you've got to fill it.
1: Exactly. So that's exactly right. So Hitchcock, <laughs> Hitchcock uh, had, a, had an analogy, like if you, if, you, if you have two people talking, and a bomb goes off, so those that's two right. people, they're, start, they're startled, and everyone who watches that movie or reads that book, they're going to be startled for a second. And then the gimmick wears off and, you know, you're right back into things. There's no fucking tension. But if you show that there's a bomb underneath the table where two people are talking and that bomb is there the entire time and it's ticking. Well, even they're talking about, I don't know, baseball scores or whatever. That tension is built into the mix because, you know, you as an audience member or readers going, shit, don't they know there's a bomb under the table and they got to get out of there. And he did that brilliantly with the touch of evil when in the very beginning of the scene, he shows a bomb being put in the trunk of a car and two people getting into that car and they're driving throughout the city of, uh, throughout, throughout some town in Mexico or whatever. And they're having their conversation a small and beautiful tracking shot on the crane. And the whole time there's a bomb in the trunk of the car and, and the tension is just growing and growing and growing with each
0: second. And that's exactly right. You know? there's a scene it's a chapter but to me there it's like a scene because there are so many scenes in your memoir that to me play like a movie and another compliment to me is that if it's you know this could be a film your life this section of your memoir you also leave the business and you find moments where your past may negatively affect your career, you know, pursuing another career in finance, where your pornographic past may, you know, hurt your chances for a promotion. And that's, has that something, has that happened to you where your past has maybe negatively affected your progress, you know, uh, as a professional in another field? Yeah, I
1: mean, as much as I as much as I uh, uh, hate to use the term, the fact that I do something that is in public would would, you know, for public consumption would make me a de facto public figure or a celebrity. And it, it's one of the things that go with it. Is If you if you have an issue with uh, with that, then you should never enter 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 the business to begin with, that any facet of entertainment, you know, whether it be sports or television, or film, or, or as a writer or whatever, it, it goes with the territory. And that's one of the things I made peace with in the very beginning. Uh, before I started, uh, that this could have an impact for the rest of my life, whether I made one project, or whether I had a 15 year career, which I certainly didn't expect. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I have no reason to complain. If I did, I should have done something else, in the, for, you know, with with my life and and uh, it's afforded me a lot of privileges and opportunities being a public figure that I otherwise would not have had. You know, so on balance, it's been positive.
0: Yeah, um, we, but yeah, we, I mean, we certainly wouldn't be having this conversation if you hadn't had this life experience that was worthy of being published. That got publisher excited. It got me excited that, you know, that we can talk about it, um, as a work of art, because I have such respect for what you've done. And you. I wanted to tell you before I forget that the most impressive part of your memoir is also the most human aspect of your memoir, which is how sex work affects people's relationships outside of the business. And it's handled in a very real, very emotional, very sensitive way. And I just want to tell you that in the memoir, it, it, it really gives a complete picture of the man. And I had such respect for how you navigated, what you navigated, and how that relationship in every scene with the woman who is with you in this ride, um, was that the most difficult part to write? Did you struggle with getting that right? Or was that something that you were very clear-eyed about and said, this is how it was, this is my memory of it, I got it on the page?
1: Yeah, you're 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 dead on. I mean, look, the the biggest challenge I I had was, uh, the fact that there are people in my life who are close to me who are not public figures who, who do have every every right to expect that they should remain private, and their and their private life should remain private. Uh, it was a challenge to not be intellectually dishonest by publishing something that left that out completely mm-hmm. and my relationship with them. And at the same time, respecting their privacy. And I think, I, I think I, I did a halfway decent job of it. Although there's things I'd rather, I, I'd like to have a second look at, but it is what it is. But hard, part of it was hard because I wanted to respect the privacy of people in my personal life, uh, who sure. whom I sure. love. And that, that you're, you're right. That, that wasn't easy.
0: I, I just wanted to say that because it was really the most human part of the memoir, and whenever I got to a chapter about that relationship, I would immediately, you know, focus and see how it affected them. Because I'm I'm on this journey, and you're not alone. There's someone in the car with you every step of the way, and. I think the memoir would be lesser if you didn't have someone to um, talk about the experience with, and and uh, so that's all. I just I really wanted just to tell you that the um, your memoir affected me. Uh, Thank you. I feel like I I know it um, like a, a book that you've read several times, and you can recall certain parts of it. Um, my last question for you is that uh, I knew a, a movie agent once who was asked by Random House if he was interested in writing his memoir. and He said yes, and Random House offered him a million dollars to write his memoir, and the agent told me he turned them down. And I said, why did you turn them down? And he said, I told them because my story is still being written. Huh. And your story is still being written. And so my last question for you, Tyler, is... Have you, could we, When we last spoke, you mentioned you were writing a script, and it seemed to be something, but have you already adapted Burn My Shadow into a script? And and is there any uh, movie prospects for this memoir? Uh,
1: Good question. So the... Last question first. Uh, my agents are my agents are working on that, and I spoke with uh, a very 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 renowned uh, editor in in the film industry. Um, I'm not going to put him on blast, but he he read my memoir and mm-hmm. uh, reached out to me out of the clear blue, which was a surprise. And as soon as I realized it wasn't a crank call, we're talking, and he's uh, basically telling me that it, it reads very cinematically, and even if I even if I just take out the porn part and, and, and focus on the relationship between uh, the protagonist and Amanda, that will work really well because the dialogue stands by itself. And mm-hmm. so that's that's something I'm 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 working on right now.
0: Um, do you want to adapt it yourself, or would you rather someone else take a crack at it? Uh, how do you how how precious are you about the adaptation?
1: It's not about being precious about the adaptation. It's about the fact that this is my source, and it's my source material, and, you know, how dare they? There's nothing sacred about it, because film is a different medium altogether. Um, It's a function of the fact that I fully, truly believe, and I don't care how arrogant it sounds, but I truly, fully believe that I was put on this earth to write and tell stories. And the reason why it took me so long until my 40s to actually get to this point is because in my 20s and 30s, I had nothing to say, and you could be as technically skilled as you want, but if you have nothing to say, then it's moot. Um, and so, yeah, so that's that. And uh, the novel that I'm turning into, uh, turning in in about in about two weeks, I'm simultaneously adapting that um, into a screenplay, also.
0: Excellent. Um, so, excellent. Yeah. Nothing, nothing thrills me more to hear you say. Not only are you finishing your second novel, but you've adapted it into a screenplay. I mean, when when I say your confidence must be coming out your eyes and through your pores, I know it's because Burn My Shadow was published, it deserved to be published, and it got published in such a way that it's out there, it's being read, and you know, you should take that confidence to the bank because I know, having read it and talking to you, that it was a story worth telling and well told.
1: Thanks. I I have a long way to go in my in my in my estimation to where I want to be as uh, as an artist and a writer, but um, I guess that's a good thing. I suppose. Hundred
0: percent. Hundred percent. I wanna. I just want to end on that note because I've enjoyed this conversation. You've answered my questions that I really wanted to ask you, having, you know, experienced your memoir. So the pleasure has been mine, and I hope your listeners have enjoyed our conversation. Tyler, it's been a pleasure.
1: My pleasure, and thank you for this. I appreciate it.
0: Okay, take care.